is The Next Trip Podcast with Aviation Insiders Doug and Drew. Together, with more than 40 years of industry experience, they are creating a network for other app geeks and travel enthusiasts to obsess about all things aviation. All thoughts and opinions are their own. Good day and welcome to Boarding Pass 68, operating on March 15th, 2021. This is Doug, and I'm here with my fellow industry insider, Drew. We're two geeks creating a network for airline, airplane, airport, and travel enthusiasts to obsess about all things aviation. Drew, how was the week? It seemed like it was relatively quiet, right? Relatively quiet in terms of weather, but uh, pretty busy in terms of load factors. And mm-hmm. it goes along with what we're talking about. Things are picking up, and I was busy. It felt like... Um, I don't want to say a normal spring, but it felt like things were ramping up and you could see the kids starting to head out for spring break. You know, this week and the coming week, I'm going to be creating something called spring training for our station. Because not to say that we've been complacent, but the load factors have been light due to COVID. So Mm -hmm. we've just been kind of cruising along. But now they're starting to get full, especially to these sunnier destinations. Yeah. So I'm going to do a whole, hey, let's do a refresh because things are going to start getting busy. So let's talk about gate check bags. Let's talk about boarding on time. Let's, you know, little things that we didn't think about at 50% load factor, but now at 75 to 100% load factor, okay, we got to get on the ball again. Yeah. Well, the, the gate check bag, that's a really good point because we saw that on our trip a couple weeks ago on mm-hmm. several of the flights. And, and then on my flights home from the East Coast through Dallas, both of the flights were completely full and, and they had to gate check bags. And it's been months, if not over a year since I've seen that. Yeah, exactly. So that's that's a good problem to have. We had an Orlando flight. Listen to this, Orlando with a 757-300 with, over, with like close to 250 passengers on it. Mm-hmm. That was our fullest flight. Yeah. I mean, we have triple, we have 787s going all over. Yeah. We checked 40 bags, 40 gate check bags on that flight. Because a lot wow. of families and yeah, a lot of yeah. stuff. Or- Orlando is always the, the Disney crowd and, and vacation crowd. <laughs> so lots of extra stuff that they're that they're hauling. Yeah. Yeah. So part of my spring planning is working with customer service. Don't even wait. Just pre-tag 20 bags to get a head start because you mm-hmm. know it's going to be 30 to 40 bags. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, so, and the, the TSA numbers back that up as well. The, this right. this last week, the last seven days has been the highest seven day period in the COVID era. Friday was set a record. Today, I guarantee you we're going to set another record. It's like a million three hundred thousand. Yeah, it was one point three one point three on Friday. But the the seven day average, which is the last seven days, is almost one point two million, which is the highest that it's been in the COVID era, and it's it's climbing pretty substantially. No, that's great. Things are looking up. Yeah, well, I can. Well, it's it was good. Um, just recovering from being back on the East Coast and being tired and getting back in the office. But I, I leave tomorrow again for a work trip. And I can tell you, my flights are, they're not totally full, but they're relatively full. The premium cabin, I'm i am on a flight from Salt Lake to Philadelphia tomorrow on a 737-900. Mm-hmm. First, first class is full. Delta yeah. Comfort Plus, completely full. I haven't seen that since before COVID, where both premium cabins... 48 hours before the flight were completely, completely sold out or everyone got the upgrades. Yeah. So when you're on your flight and we do the next episode, just report back what you saw. Did you see leisure? Did you see business? What was the demographic? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. On a Monday going to Philadelphia, I'm sure the majority of it is is probably business. I I don't. That's a good sign because they're saying business travel is dead. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I don't see a lot of um, a lot of spring breakers heading from Salt Lake to to Philadelphia. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Not, Philadelphia is not a huge. Well, 
I don't know. It's a it's a beautiful city, but I don't see people rushing there for spring break. No, maybe during the summer, Fourth of July, some of the Independence Day celebration things. But yeah, for spring break, no, probably not. But looking yeah. at the upgrade the upgrade list for for both of my flights tomorrow, I, I was lucky enough to get them early. But there are a lot of people who are on the upgrade list, which is which is really good to see. Unfortunately, yeah. they're they're not going to get it because the cabins are full. But seeing those lists start to grow definitely means that there is a business travel presence that's that's starting to hit the road again. All right, everyone. So still Women's History Month. It's March. So before we go on, we have to mention another uh, woman in history, Jennifer, who is on our show. She does the blog Tales from the Terminal. She reminded us that even though um, Amelia Earhart didn't complete her round the world trip, there is uh, someone who has. And the first woman to do that was uh, Jerry Mock. So she was, uh, this was in 1964. She was 38 years old. She was a mother of three. I believe she was a housewife. She flew a Cessna 180 from Columbus, Ohio, eastward. She stopped in Bermuda, the Azores, North Africa, India, Guam, Hawaii, Oakland, and then back to uh, Columbus. After her around the world flight, uh, when asked by a reporter why she undertook the flight, she said, I did it to give confidence to the little pilot who is being left in the jet stream of the space age. Hmm. So this was the 1960s. So, you know, she was presented with uh, an FAA gold medal by President Lyndon Johnson. You know, this something about this, Doug, is it's inspiring. So mm-hmm. anyone who has a love of aviation or really wants to do this, you can do it. She was 38. She's a mother of three. Who would think that that would be the person who would be flying around the world alone? So, yeah, uh, interesting. Exactly. I, I had never heard that story. That's awesome. Je- Jennifer was the one who suggested that. Jennifer, yeah, Jennifer okay. suggested it. I didn't know about that either. So, you know, we learn a lot doing this podcast. Yeah, exactly. Thanks, thanks, Jennifer. That's awesome. Well, moving on to our warm up topic for this week, and it's it's a little bit heavy, I would say. But um, looking ahead, most of the topics we're going to talk about today are are not as heavy. But Drew, it's it really is hard to believe that we're in mid March two thousand twenty one, which means that the pandemic officially passed the one year point this last Thursday. It's been quite a year of ups and downs, trials and tribulations, but we've made it. We've made it this far and we had, and all of our listeners have made it this far as well. Not only that, but you and myself were both two of the lucky ones who actually in the industry kept our jobs throughout this, throughout this, this period. I have to believe that there are a lot more positives on the horizon than negatives. And we've been talking about your load factors. We've been talking about the TSA numbers. Lots of different things are, are pointing toward. We're not out of this yet, but the ship has turned in the right direction. Let's take a few minutes to each reflect on what the last year has meant for us personally and for the industry. Drew, you can start. Yeah, you know, I was right in the front line of this, not knowing what's going to happen, dealing with having to let some people go, you know, wondering about my job. You know, when you ask your boss how things are looking and then your boss says, I hope it's looking well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, even when your boss doesn't know, for, none of us knew. No, no matter where you were in the company, Nothing was for sure. And, you know, you said, we don't want to get too deep, but you just know what I learned from this is nothing in life is for certain. Mm-hmm. Don't take things for granted. Appreciate what you have and, you know, keep your house in order because you don't know. You don't know what could happen. Wherever you're working, you know, do a good job. Show some initiative because there may come a time where people are looking at you. It's like, how much has this person done? You know, is this person valuable to the company? So yeah, it was a real wake up call. Thankfully, you know, a lot of us made it through. Most of my coworkers made it through. Thankfully, it was, um, it was a reality check. 
Mm-hmm. Well, there are lots of things the listeners don't know that you and I haven't really talked about. And if, if you're comfortable sharing, I'll, I'll probably share some things. I mean, it was a couple, several months before you knew for sure that you were going to keep your job, right? Yes. Yeah, and so that was from like March to what was it? June, July, uh, August. I think August. I found out for sure. We all yeah. found out. Yeah. So we were, we were continuing to do the podcast. We were trying to stay positive, but in the background, all of this was going on for, for both of us. And that is a long time to sit and wonder wh- what your future holds, right? I, I, I mean, right. I, I can't imagine what you were going through, what you were feeling. I mean, you were telling me a lot, of, a, a lot kind of as it was going. Yeah. But that's, it's, it's just so difficult to watch everything that's gone on in the industry well, in the last year. What you do, I mean, what, what I did, you know, there's so much uncertainty. So you control in your life what you can control. Mm -hmm. So you control your daily schedule, you control your home life, and then you also look around to see what's available to keep yourself busy. So instead of, you know, sitting at home worrying what's going to happen, see what else is out there just in case. I had no plans to leave my job, but, you know, you have to be smart and you have Mm -hmm. to look around. Yeah, it was a wake up call. And, you know, some of the people that were let go, we were able to bring some of them back and my understanding is most of them did not. They found something else or they were they were good. So, you know, everything works out. Most things work out eventually. Well, let's, before I get into kind of what, what the last year was like for me, Drew, you and I watched this unfold real time, right? Because we were actually, we were on a trip. I left on a work trip on March 13th. Just, just to recap, on the 11th was when the president put the order in, into place that anyone coming in from Europe had to quarantine for 14 days, basically non-US citizens coming in from Europe were no longer allowed after the 11th. The the 13th was a 13th was a Friday, Friday the 13th, which looking back on it, you, you know, that was, it was kind of an omen. Ominous. Yeah. yeah I, I flew from Sacramento to Newark on that day for a, the beginning of a work trip. And I don't know if you remember this, Drew, you and I recorded that morning before my flight. Mm. I was at Sacramento airport. Oh on, yeah, on Zoom recording from there. The flight out was weird because that was that was my first time flying as COVID was really beginning to actually impact aviation. I remember the service was it was it was weird because the flight attendant was wearing gloves, didn't pour a drink into a glass, just brought the can to my seat and said, "I, I hope this is okay." Mm-hmm. And so it was it was, it was just a, a really weird experience. And then on that Saturday, the fourteenth, that was when my, my boss called and said come home, come home as soon as possible. Everything is shutting down. All work travel is stopping for the next month. You have to get home as soon as possible. And yeah. that was that was when things really started to unravel, I would say. And that was when it became real for us. And even then, we, we flew back to Los Angeles, you and I. We went out for dinner with my cousin and, and her husband. That was my last time eating indoors in the state of California. I haven't wow, eaten. That's a year. I that's haven't exact, eaten indoors exactly a year. in in exactly that's a year. A, a year today. Yeah. Yep. Which is crazy to think about because we were at the club in Newark and it seemed normal, but by the time we got to the the United Club in San Francisco on the fifteenth, things felt weird because food was being handed out in just small little baskets or or bags. No one was really talking. There was like this this air of Unease. fear of yeah. unease and my flight from sac or from sac- san francisco up to sacramento was like 25 percent full i got home that sunday evening on monday the 16th the governor put the state into full lockdown and then we watched the industry just collapse around us 
right? By by mid-April, TSA screenings were down 96% year over year, less than 100,000 people a, a day were passing through. Cash burn was 100 million. I mean, all these things we've talked about, but just looking back on it, being there in the moment as we were going through it was was crazy to see just that that whole weekend as things really started to unravel. Well, it was it was surreal because now looking back on it, so now mask wearing is normal, you mm-hmm. know, second nature for us. But I don't think we were wearing masks on that. Masks were not required yet. I remember us mm-hmm. being in Newark and being on the shuttle between the express gate and the mainline gate and then flying on that. We flew Polaris. We flew business class from Newark to Los Angeles. Yeah. And it, that was surreal because we knew it was like a, um, a tenuous situation with this COVID popping up, but we enjoyed that flight. And it was like five hours of escape from mm-hmm. what was going on. Then, you know, we mentioned it, we landed in Los Angeles and things were changing. I remember going out with your cousin and her husband and it was fun, but we were all wondering like, where are we going with this? Because we had pizza and then we went to a little bar and it was just us and maybe one other group of people. So people were already starting to stay home and lock down. Yeah. So, and and that was in, that was in Hermosa Beach on a Saturday night, which yeah, typically was jam packed. Yeah. And that's, I think that going out for dinner that night was where it really hit. where it's like, Oh boy, something, something bad is, is actually <laughs> brewing here. Yeah. Right. Well, and then going back home, you talked about going back to Sacramento, 25% full. So I then went from San Francisco, I went via Chicago and I remember it was a seven, eight, seven and I got business class, which should be normally be a happy, you know, really enjoyable flight but the whole flight i was like a little bit depressed mm-hmm. you know because that flight was almost empty and just sitting there and not knowing what was going to happen kind of kind of like you my career was was essentially put on hold i mean i i was still flying for the air force which wasn't a, i mean that was going to happen because i have a, a contract that i'm signed through but my yeah. five my five-year plan was my commitment was up 18 months or so after covid started and the whole idea the whole plan basically for the five years prior was when my commitment was up, I was going to separate and then go get hired by one of the airlines. Cause all the airlines were hiring like crazy. Yeah. And then come March, everyone puts this hiring freeze on the airlines are, are letting people go. They're furloughing. People are, are taking early outs. I didn't, I had no idea what the future was going to hold for me. And that was the scariest thing in the world because in a way I almost felt trapped because it was like, I, I'm watching my dreams of being a commercial pilot, which I've wanted to be since I was a little kid, mm-hmm. just vanish before my eyes o- over over just a couple week period. I, I, I mean, as you were going through all of your stuff, I was going through all of my stuff, and, and we we're still trying to keep a positive face on the podcast and everything. But I mean, we're being being real with the listeners that those were very difficult times, and. We're sure all of the listeners had a, a similar situation in, in their life, in, in their work life, in their home life. Well, I can, I can tell you, you know, we said we control what we control. This podcast was something that we controlled and that gave us some kind of, some kind of predictability for the listeners. We know that you were going through your own struggles during that time, all of us, wherever you are in the world. We hope that us being open and sharing what we were going through, that kind of helped you that wasn't just you and you weren't alone, mm-hmm. especially if you were an airline or aviation employee. Uh, we really sympathize you, with you. We hope that you made it through and maybe, you know, in a month or whatever, we can bring some people on. If uh, some listeners, if you want to tell us your story, mm-hmm. how you coped, 
uh, how it began, you know, how the COVID crisis began for you and where you are now. You know, just stories like we have and we can share with uh, our listeners. Just let us know. Should we move on? Yeah, let's uh, let's get to something positive. Yeah, let's let's get to the news recap. Well, the, this first one is not necessarily positive. And I, I'm going to take this one because Drew always gets mad at me when I give him the negative story. To, oh, but to, I, got a positive, to lead with. I got a positive spin on the story. So yeah, okay. All right. All right. The first story is from Business Traveler magazine. And it says Lufthansa CEO said, we do not see the prospect of the A380 in our fleet, or we do not see any prospect of the A380 in our fleet. And just as a recap, we've talked about the A380 a lot. The majority of the world's fleet of A380s, which is the largest commercial plane, remains grounded. Lufthansa CEO Karsten Spohr says that the current situation means the A380 likely will not be coming back at Lufthansa. That leaves just British Airways as the only European operator of the A380, the Super Jumbo. All right, I was uh, giggling a little bit when you were talking about Karsten Spohr because it took back to uh, a Star Alliance meeting that I went to with some coworkers. We were just having a good time. We were enjoying the presentation. It was this uh, guy, Lufthansa rep, doing a presentation on um, Lufthansa as an airline. And every mm-hmm. time he said Karsten Spohr, it was always, and then Karsten Spohr, <laughs> I don't want to say he was being uh, um, diminishing of the CEO, but it was just funny the way he said it. So whenever I see Karsten Spohr, and he seems to be a little outspoken. I mean, he says, we do not see any prospect of the A380 in our fleet. How German, right? Like, to yeah. the point. <laughs> yeah. But I'm sure it's appreciated. I'm a fan of Karsten Spohr because um, he also said, quote, we love operating the 747-8. It's the most efficient aircraft in the LH fleet. Hmm. And uh, he said it's mainly due to the large belly capacity where they can, that's efficient because you can take a lot of cargo along with customers' bags. Lufthansa has said that they're going to use the Dash 8 quite a bit going forward. Yeah, they have 19. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we, we know at least that'll be around for a while. And that's going to be their only very large aircraft, VLA is what we call them. Once, once the A380 is, is gone completely. Yeah, that's also one of these plans that's on my list, like the ND95, the 747-8. So hopefully this year I can fly Lufthansa. I, I don't know if Korean Air will continue to fly it. We'll have to check, but definitely Lufthansa. All right, so let's move on to uh, a domestic story now. Doug, you and I have uh, connected through Newark or New- the New York area a couple times now. Good news, we can actually stay in New York the next time we go through. This is from NBC New York. New York's domestic travel quarantine rule ends April 1st. Domestic travelers have had to quarantine when arriving in New York from out of state last year, even New York residents. The mandate has severely impacted economic recovery for the state. All travelers will still have to fill out the state's traveler form. Quarantine will no longer be required. What do you think about that, Doug? This is huge. You've talked about this quite a bit, that when states have different rules from state to state, it makes that interstate commerce almost impossible. With each state having all these different restrictions, especially with my work travel, even though it's essential travel and and I have paperwork that can get me out of some of these things, I still have to research it. And every state that I go to, I have to look and see okay, what what are the restrictions when I get to that state? What can I do? What can't I do? Mm-hmm. And because there is no uniform answer and every state is a little bit different, it just, it, it makes it very, very difficult. And New yeah. York has been, has definitely been the most restrictive. And you and I saw that, like you said, we, we flew through New York a couple of weeks ago. I've done it a couple of times for work. It's not easy. It, it really is not. Do you have a work exemption though? I do. I do. Yeah. As you mentioned in the notes here, that it's severely impacted the economic recovery for New York because people, business travelers who may not necessarily be essential, but still are are trying to conduct business. Mm -hmm. If they go somewhere out of state, someone who lives in New York, 
they if they go somewhere out of state when they get back they have to quarantine for 14 days right. and i get it a lot of people are are still working from home so it's not not like they have to go into the office or or anything but it makes it really difficult you get home from a work trip what do you need to do you need to go to the grocery store you need to stock up on food you, lots of things that you need to do and so a lot of this travel has been stymied because of these rules and and restrictions and whatnot so we stayed at the twa hotel we couldn't go into new york so we were actually connecting through new york so we stayed overnight we never left the airport so that's what we had to do i would have loved to go into the city walk around you know have some a bagel with cream cheese and yeah. salmon <laughs> not spend not spend 100 bucks on beer and chicken wings <laughs> Oh, yeah, we spent. So, yeah, Doug and I, <laughs> we had chicken wings, two burgers and like three, four beers or something. And it was one hundred and forty six dollars with yeah. it. Yeah. But no, it was all good. It was it was a good it was a good time. All right. Well, mo moving on to another positive story. And this is from what we're going to talk about is from ABC News. But everyone has been reporting this. American and United canceled twenty seven thousand furloughs after the next round of stimulus aid passes. 27,000 employees were expected to be furloughed at the end of March. Congress passed the latest package on Wednesday, which extends payroll support for airlines. American CEO Doug Parker told employees Wednesday that the furloughs they received in February, the furlough notices they received in February are, in quotes, happily canceled. You can tear them up. American warned 13,000 employees. United warned 14,000. This new round of aid goes through the end of September. And Drew, Another round might not be necessary because TSA traffic is averaging 50% lower than 2019, which is still pretty substantial, but it's been climbing steadily. And several airlines have been calling employees back even before the stimulus. And some airlines are even hiring new employees to keep up with this growing demand. This, well, yeah. this might be it. It might be it. And the other thing to mention is a lot of employees, even as we speak, are taking these voluntary leave offers where they get a bonus or they get health care through 65 so they don't have to worry about that. So that's going to um, that's gonna cause a lot of openings. And mm -hmm. then this is great for you. You're already seeing signs of hiring at, uh, at some of the regionals, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, some of the regionals. And, and uh, I know one major has said that they might be hiring by the end of the year. Yeah, Spirit is hiring, Frontier is hiring, several regionals are hiring, which is, it's looking really good. Yeah, so for those of you listening that were thinking, oh, an airline career, whether pilot, operations, customer service, flight attendant, if you thought that that was something you loved, but you couldn't go that direction because of the economy, don't think that. You know, keep, stay in school, keep learning how to fly, keep getting your business degree if you want to work in airline business, because there will be jobs opening. If that's what you love to do, focus on that don't don't focus on one year of struggle because we're getting out of it already all right going to the next story this is uh, i got it i told you so, so story you did you <laughs> did i i will i will take the loss on this one this is from yahoo finance boeing expects big 737 max order from uh, southwest airlines this is a multi-billion dollar order for the 737 MAX 7, which is their smallest version of the 737, the deal expected is expected to be for 130 firm orders and options for another 170. That's huge. At list prices, this would be about 13 billion, though Southwest is expected to, of course, receive substantial discounts. This basically puts to rest the rumors that Southwest might order the A220. And this is what Doug and I spoke of on a previous episode. You were leaning towards A220, and I was like, no way are they going to go away from the 737. Separately, CNBC reported that uh, Boeing logged more orders than cancellations in February for the first time since 2019. They sold 82 aircraft versus 51 cancellations. Okay. Thoughts? 
Let's talk about the A220 first, and then I want to come back to this this big order. Here are my reasons why I thought Southwest was was going to go with the A220. I I understand the cost synergies with only having a single aircraft type. Southwest has only really flown the 737 in their entire existence, which makes it really easy for the pilot group and for network scheduling. Right, mm-hmm. you, you have an, uh, a maintenance but but the big thing is you, you have a crew that doesn't show up on time because of weather because of a delay because of a, a myriad of different reasons you can just plug a, this a, a different crew into the same airplane and the, the passengers have no idea whereas w- when you have a network carrier like united delta american with eight nine ten twelve different fleet types you can't do that as easily and that comes with a lot of costs it comes with maintenance costs comes with training costs I completely see the single airframe operations from from that perspective. That said, Southwest got burned really hard by the Max because they were expecting lots of growth with the Max, and then the Max got grounded. And this is where, if you have a little bit of diversification, like what 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 were to have happened? I know we've talked about this. Ten years from now, most of Southwest, if not all of their next gen, so the sub thirty-seven, seven hundreds, and eight hundreds, might be retired, and all Southwest would be flying is the Max. What if the right. Max? What if the Max was grounded? Then Southwest would be hosed. Yep. They would have no airplane. They would have no airplane that could fly. And that's yep. the risk that you run when you operate a single airplane type. And that that's was, what happened with Norwegian. Norwegian had to basically shut down their international flights because of the problems with the 787. They were leasing mm-hmm. an A 380 from some, I mean, from high flight. All the yep. stuff. Yeah. Yep. And that, that is exactly why I thought Southwest would go with the A220 was to diversify and having two fleet types yep. while, while it's more uh, less co- cost effective and efficient than having a single fleet type is still a lot more cost effective than United American Delta with 9, 10, 12 different fleet types. Yeah. This was interesting because Southwest, as we speak, they continue to offload 737 700s. Mm -hmm. United has bought like 40 of them from Southwest. And now they're buying the 737 7 Max, which is interesting because they're they're letting go. Maybe the efficiencies on this this Max is so much better than the 700 that it's worth going back into a smaller 737 again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's a 20% reduction in, in costs just based on the engines. But Southwest, if, if you notice, Drew, they've been growing into a lot of smaller cities. They just launched Colorado Springs this week. I don't, actually, sidebar mm-hmm. on that, I don't know if you saw it, the first flight into Colorado Springs was with the Colorado State Livery. The oh, state flight right. livery. Yeah, which which is really yeah, cool from, from like a, a PR perspective. Southwest has been growing into a lot of these smaller markets, Palm Springs, Colorado Springs, uh, some places in Florida where an 800 or a, a Max 8 is just too many seats. Yeah. Whereas a, a 700 or a Dash 7 fits that mold really well. We have to go back and see exactly what the capacity is of the 700 and the A220. I think it's about, I want to say 120. It depends. It, it depends on which A220. If they got the 300, I think yeah. the 300 is about the same as a 737 Max Seven. Yeah. So about yeah. 120. Yeah. Or so. Okay. Can we can we talk about this this huge deal though? Yes. With yeah. with the Max, 300 airplanes with between the the firm orders and the options. This is huge for Boeing. It's huge for the Max. But Drew, my biggest takeaway that the biggest thing that I felt from this is. We rarely saw orders this big before COVID, let alone during COVID. This just goes to show 
that Southwest is very bullish on the future and what what is to come for the future. And if you think about it, these orders aren't going to be fulfilled for three years, four years, five years and beyond. And an order of this magnitude right now means that within a couple of years, Southwest expects the need for these airplanes. Well, initially, I would say that this was a very what's our word of the week? Cavalier. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I would have said this is a very cavalier move, which means it's uh, bordering on irresponsible. But no, when you look at it, they probably got an awesome deal on these, Mm -hmm. right? Because we talked about the whitetails and all the orders that Boeing had canceled. So here's Southwest swooping in and grabbing 300. That's amazing. So I think this is, it was really smart. All right, on to another fun topic. So friends, as you might recall, we announced several months ago that we were planning a Next Trip AvGeek event in Anchorage in May. At the time, we didn't know what the future might hold, but we were optimistic that the environment would be good enough for us to actually go through with it. Well, we've made a final determination on what we're calling Northern Flights. Yes, and based on the current COVID levels and increased vaccination push by the current administration, which hopes to offer all adults a vaccine or have everyone be eligible for a vaccine by May 1st in the United States, plus the decreased Alaska travel restrictions, we're pleased to announce we've decided that Northern Flights is a go. Should we talk about this a little bit? Yeah, let's uh, let's talk about it. So this is not something, this is not a huge thing. So Doug and I are going to Anchorage. We're going to be spotting with uh, Tyler, uh, T. Crook Airways, and some of his friends. And I know a couple people are, uh, we're leaning towards coming, but it'll be great. I mean, the more of you guys that we can see up there, it'd be awesome to have a beer with you guys, talk uh, AvGeek stuff. I don't know. Tyler is literally, when we say 24-hour spotting, it's 24-hour spotting. <laughs> yeah, for Tyler. Yeah. <laughs> it may be 48-hour spotting. Planes over people. <laughs> yeah, so I will be taking a pee break and I will be taking a food break. And I, I really think that, you know, in addition to spotting, we should get everyone together and just have a casual event where we mm-hmm. get to know our listeners and other Av Geeks. Yeah, so if you guys can make it, it would be awesome. But let's let's talk about the, the details a little bit. So you and I fly up there on May 8th. How are we getting there? Oh, this is part of the trip. So we are taking Alaska Flight 65, which is known as the Milk Run. So we will depart from Seattle around eight o'clock in the morning and make four or five stops on the way to Anchorage. You know, we learned, Doug, later that there are other milk runs, but I think this is the classic. I I keep hearing about Alaska Flight 65. So that's Mm -hmm. the one we're on on the 8th leaving Seattle. So we'll get up there on the 8th. The event that we're planning is the night and the evening, night and into the morning of May 9th and 10th, which is right as the northern summer is beginning and so what we should have pretty pretty close to 24 hours of daylight not sunlight necessarily but daylight so drew and i are are planning on spotting throughout the night the big cargo push that comes in around midnight and and things like that and and that's where this whole trip really started was talking about going to alaska during the summer to be able to watch the the airplanes throughout the night with with daylight basically. As you always say, Drew, we need other activities as well. So what what are some of the other activities that we're talking about? Oh, so we're talking about, so we definitely want a pizza and uh, beer night. We definitely want to have some crab legs because that's Doug's favorite food. So we'll find a place for that. I was thinking, let's do like a little hike around Anchorage. Mm-hmm. We have our buddy, Marky Mark, who is on the show, who's a spotter in Anchorage. So I'll be talking to him. Marky Mark, hopefully you're listening. We will uh, we'll get advice from him on spotting locations. 
I know he also does like this drone, beautiful drone footage of mm-hmm. uh, the Anchorage area. So he can give us some tips on where we can go hiking. So we will be there on the 8th, 9th and 10th. And we leave on the 11th, hoping to pack in as much as we can those three days. Yeah, definitely. We'll, we'll post something on the website too here in the, the coming weeks with, with more of a, an itinerary, I guess you could call it more of a plan for it. But we, we hope you guys can join us. If not, Hopefully we can make this an, an annual thing, or even if it's a biannual or, or something, we're, we're hoping it's a success and, and we'll be able to meet some of our listeners. All right, Doug, you messaged me this week that you were having uh, some weird weather around you in California. My mom also told me about it. She lives about 90 minutes down the road from you. You normally see rain this time of year in California, but thunderstorms and hail, that's not something you really see at any time of the year when you're in Northern California. Yeah, and this brings us to our ops topic for the week. We've talked about thunderstorms from the ramp and airport operations perspective last summer, but not necessarily from an aircraft navigational perspective. And I know it might seem strange to discuss this, especially right now with the Rocky Mountains getting slammed by a winter storm. Spring is just around the corner. Believe us when we say that. And with spring will come the thunderstorms. So Drew and I decided that we were going to talk about about this for the ops topic. And, and where the idea kind of came from was this week during those thunderstorms, I was looking at Flight Radar 24, Flight Aware, at, at just the different paths that some of the airplanes were taking. They were having to deviate around the storms. I thought we could talk about it. You can ask some questions or, or I can talk about it. What it's like in the cockpit as we see these storms on, right. on, the, on the horizon. Yeah, exactly. I mean, do you just see a green blob and you just steer around it? <laughs> it, it yeah, it, it it depends. So when when you have pop-up thunderstorms, you can usually see them out the cockpit window. And at that point, we just request from air traffic control. We say, hey, we'd like to deviate left or right. Usually they're they're really good about it. They say deviate as necessary and then let us know when when you're back on course. Sometimes though, you're in the weather, in the clouds, and you can't see it outside. You can't see what's in front of you. And that's mm. where we have to rely on our weather radar, which in most airplanes is actually pretty good. And it sweeps left and right, back and forth. And we see these red, orange, and yellow pockets pop up on the weather radar. And again, that's where we have to talk to ATC and ask for deviations. When you're at altitude, a lot of times you go over these storms, or you can see them from 150, 200, 300 miles away, and you can just request the deviation early. It's in the terminal environment which is when you're departing or arriving where it becomes more difficult because Mm. that's when you're actually in the weather closer to the ground, closer to the airport where you have less maneuverability because you can't really deviate 20 miles when the runway that you're trying to get to is 10 miles in front of you. Yeah. This is interesting because, um, you know, during thunderstorms, we see there's a pattern in the Washington and New York area where the thunderstorms come in from the West, but then our dispatchers, are routing these planes to go north or west, the ones that are going to Europe, mm-hmm. north or west, and then to get fly east. east over the Atlantic. And we're just like, why are you doing this? You're putting them directly in the path of the storm. Mm-hmm. So we worked with uh, dispatch to actually send them south, hmm. away from the weather, and then swing on Out over the left. ocean. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it's like, yes, it's going to take them more fuel. It's going to take them a little bit longer, maybe a few minutes. I don't know, maybe 15 minutes more. But you're not sitting on the ground for an hour waiting for the thunderstorm to pass. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can, yeah. You would can, think this would be obvious. Can we, can we talk about the fuel? Yeah, please. When, when I look at the weather forecast before a flight, if I have thunderstorms in the forecast, I'm mm-hmm. allowed to carry extra gas. And, and we call that thunderstorm gas, deviation gas, whatever yep. you want to call it. Basically, it's an extra several thousand pounds of gas. And there are different layers based on the severity of the, the storms. And that is extra gas to account for deviations around the storms. 
Well, yeah, they plan for extra gas knowing that there's thunderstorms, but we're telling them, yes, do that, but also mm -hmm. consider these other routings. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, I can I can tell you as a young captain, as a young aircraft commander, I was I, I got into some pretty hairy situations because a lot of times when there are these storms and everyone is trying to talk on the radio all at once, trying to deviate, it's difficult. And you it's kind of ingrained in you that you have to stick to your ATC clearance because otherwise you can get violated, which is not a good thing. I, I had times where I would see a storm in front of me and I couldn't talk on the radio because there were so many people trying to deviate. Yeah. I would basically just fly into the storm and, and hope that everything was, was good. Now as yeah. a, a more seasoned, more experienced captain, there are many times where I've deviated without ATC uh, approval and you mm -hmm. just ask for forgiveness or tell them what's going on later. Because yeah. I don't want to put the airplane or anyone on, on the plane in a bad situation by flying into these storms. But how do you deviate without approval? You just turn in that direction turn, and tell mm -hmm. them that's... Yeah, if it, if it gets to the point where you're so close to the storm that you're like, I do not have time to talk to anyone. And I've flown through some pretty bad storms that scared the daylights out of me that I yeah. don't I don't want that again. So yeah. it's to the point where if if I see it on the radar, if I see it out in front of me and I, I haven't been able to talk to ATC, mm -hmm. I'll just I'll deviate. And usually when you start to deviate and they see that, you become the priority. They will talk to you and they'll say, We see you turning, where are you going? Or yeah. I've had it before where I haven't been able to ask, I start to turn, ATC says, Hey, call sign, we see you deviating for storms, clear to deviate as required. Mm -hmm. Let us know when when you need back on track. ATC is right. really good about it. Yeah, because if it's a safety consideration, you don't need to ask for permission. You just have to do what you got to do. Mm -hmm. But then, then it raises the problem, and this is why they get paid the big bucks. All these planes are turning away from the storm. Yeah, and then you have this uh, whole whole cluster of planes that are someplace where where they're they're not, they're not supposed to be. Supposed yeah, to be. but that's that's why we have altitude deconfliction. So a lot of airplanes are stacked to different altitudes. And we also have safety measures on the airplane called TCAS, traffic collision and avoidance system. If we if we get within a certain range of another airplane and the airplanes are talking to each other. And if yeah. they think, hey, we might hit, they coordinate, the airplanes coordinate and they yep. say, I'm gonna descend, you're gonna climb and and we're not going to hit each other. And you, yep. just, you follow that and you trust that. So here's another workaround that we did during the summer. So if they have to go east, if they have to go west, mm -hmm. go into the storm before they turn out of it. We've been using these routes. They're called limbo routes. Limbo, you know, the limbo like in the Caribbean where you mm -hmm. like go under know, the bar. Under bar. So a limbo route is where you fly under 10,000 feet for 100 miles. Mm. And if the clouds are higher, you can kind of skirt, you can go under, under. Hmm. the weather so sometimes that's a possibility so we've gotten really creative and you know it for my station and for shift managers in newark boston wherever they all have the same problem and we see it happening every day so it seems obvious to us <laughs> why can't you just fly this way it's not that easy as mm -hmm. you know but working with uh atc and dispatchers you know i told you i have a direct line with the faa supervisor joe these connections are great because you can talk about what's happening real time and everyone can see what problems we're ha having. Mm -hmm. And we didn't really have that problem so much this summer because of COVID because we didn't have as much traffic. traffic. So it wasn't, yeah. But Doug, I mean, in the summer, it, it's not, it's not uncommon for us to bring planes back because we had taxi times over two hours waiting for the storms to pass. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. So. This summer, this summer might be more like that though, as yeah. traffic starts to pick up. Oh my goodness. We might get some pushback from the listeners, but get ready to hear a few more episodes of summer preparations, thunderstorms, departure <laughs> fixes. Yeah. Hopefully, <laughs> hopefully we're done with de-icing now at this point for the next several months. Yeah. Yeah. Next episode, I want to talk about departure fixes. You know, they're five letters. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting how they name them. It's actually just the FAA guys picking names. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> I, I can talk about some pretty cool names too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. So we'll save that for another episode. Yeah. We received a question this week from Danny, a listener from Switzerland. Thank you for that. First, he gave us some great feedback. He said, I would like to thank you for your interesting show with insights to the aviation industry. I like listening to it and dreaming about my next flight. He also asked us a question that he said he tried to look up, but couldn't find the answer to. Okay, so this is about the Antonov 225, which has a huge set of wheels. However, when it lands, you can see that only the two, the rear two or three axles touch down first. The remaining 20 wheels or so have basically nothing to do and all the landing weight is stressed on only those four or eight tires until the nose wheel touches down. Are all the other wheels necessary? If so, why is there not a system like with passenger wide bodies where the wheels are constructed in such a way that even the load during t- that even the load during touchdown? So th- there was an article from Popular Mechanics that we're going to refer to: uh, ex- Extreme Machines Antonov 225 is the world's heaviest plane. So the Antonov 225 has 32 total gear. 28 mains and four nose. It has so many mains for a couple of reasons. 16 of the 28 are steerable to help the giant aircraft maneuver better at smaller airports. Also, it distributes the weight more evenly when fully loaded. I didn't realize that it, the Antonov 225 did this. So after we got this question, I went and watched some videos and it's true. It it, it basically touches down with the back four or eight tires and then just kind of lowers itself onto the runway and the rest of the 28 mains touch down there's a lot of stress that goes in into those back tires if you think about if if you've seen a 747 land or a 777 and the the gear hangs down and it's called a, a bogey bogey mm-hmm. where it's it's like at an angle if you think about it the 777 a, a lot of the weight touches down on the rear a couple of tires first and then it lowers itself onto the runway even though the antonov has this long line of tires in a way that's what it's doing as well yeah. it's just it's, lo- it's lowering itself onto the runway yeah and we've talked about weight bearing capacity in, in previous episodes that's why the 225 has so many gear to begin with is yeah. to disperse that weight, right? Think about a table. You know, if, if you have a table with th- four legs and you put a thousand pounds on it, it's going to sink into the dirt or mm-hmm. break your floor. But if you add 16 legs, then that weight is evenly distributed evenly amongst distributed. the 16. So it may not sink into the dirt or, or break the floor. In a way, that's what all these gear are doing for the 225. Exactly. And you were saying uh, on an earlier episode that distribution actually causes less concentrated weight than some smaller planes mm-hmm. because you have the weight distributed on more landing gear, mm-hmm. right? But this whole thing about how the landing gear hangs, I don't... So I read something that, you know, on, on the 747, they kind of tilt so mm-hmm. that the back tires hit first on yeah. the forward gear. But on the 67, they're tilted forward. Forward. So it seems like the front tires on the main gear touch down first. Mm-hmm. So I read something that the reason for that is just the way it fits in the undercarriage. The it undercarriage. has nothing to do. With, yeah. Mm-hmm. Although, you know, it's probably a lucky consequence that on the 47, it just seems like a nice cushion when it lands because it's tilted like that. That's what I always thought. Mm-hmm. 
but they're saying no it hangs like that because that's the way it fits in the best way it can fit in the undercarriage yeah yeah that that's the whole reason for the the bogeyed gear is yeah. for the for the retraction and extension yeah yeah exactly as we saw we talked on the c5 that's crazy mm-hmm. yeah where <laughs> so it, it comes turns out 90 degrees yeah it turns, yeah that's not for aerodynamic or you know that's just to make it those wheels fit Mm-hmm. well danny great question great feedback thank you so much for that yeah all right so we have something else so you know our listeners keep dragging us into this uh biscoff discussion so we have uh, charlie gibbs he's a listener in the uk he says uh hey guys and greetings from lancashire england i visited my parents a few days ago my mom a civilian <laughs> they're using her terms, <laughs> yeah. I love it, says Try these. They're the best biscuits in the world. They were only Belgian chocolate covered Biscoff. <laughs> <laughs> the best biscuits. <laughs> and she's a civilian. So then I said, okay, okay. So they're not just for Av Geeks anymore. So he says, yeah, a mighty fine biscuit and worth mentioning anytime. Really enjoyed your last episode. The trip sounded awesome. So jealous. So by the way, you guys, on our last episode, Ev, you know, I was listening to it and it was fun because I was reliving our trip. And I, I hope it wasn't too much for the listeners. Definitely go to nexttripnetwork.com because I uploaded all of our mm-hmm. better pictures from Doug and myself. Doug, you took some awesome pictures on that on that trip. Well, you you, you encouraged me because before the trip, you sent that that picture. I, I don't remember what airline it was, but business class where it was this weird angle, like mm-hmm. looking, looking back. Oh, yes. And you were like, hey, we have to do some of these on the trip. So I was trying to get creative with some of the yeah. angles and everything. Yeah. Yeah, some of the angles they were they were really artistic. If you want to, if you guys want to use, I don't maybe you'll I don't know if you'll agree, Doug, but feel free to use our pictures. Just give yeah, us definitely. Credit. Mm-hmm. You know, just put our our website nextripnetwork.com. You don't have to pay us. You know, just give us some credit if you use them. We're fine with that. Enjoy them. Yeah. All right, you use them while they're free. Use them, well, yeah. Eventually, <laughs> <laughs> no, we just want people to listen. Go ahead and use our pictures. You know, thanks for joining us, everyone. We hope that you love this show as much as we love doing it. We'll keep cranking out new episodes every week along with some extra sections when we just can't wait a whole week. We hope to see some of you in Anchorage and me. To our listeners, this podcast is your show. So go on our website, nexttripnetwork.com. Let us know what's on your mind so we can talk about it or give us your feedback. You can also follow us on Twitter or Instagram at Next Trip Podcast. Please tell your friends about us so we can reach more people who love aviation and travel. Thanks to all of our listeners for your support and for joining the conversation. We'll see you next week. And in the meantime, stay aviation tough. This has been the Next Trip Podcast. Visit nexttripnetwork.com for information about previous episodes, trip reviews, aviation photos, and other aviation-related content. This is your show, so search for The Next Trip on Twitter and let Doug and Drew know what you want to talk about. Not on Twitter? You can also email them at nexttrip.podcast at gmail.com. Please consider leaving a review wherever you download your podcasts. It will help other listeners like you discover this show. travel routine ends this was all over the place sorry sorry dude okay this is getting this is stupid sorry no it's not you i don't know i'm going in the closet okay sorry let me grab a chair i mean we're recording like 15 second intervals now maybe the closet will be better for acoustics anyways yeah Okay. I'm, here, I'm here by the router. <laughs> All right. So uh, Doug is now officially a closet av geek. Yep. I'm recording in the closet. Hey, the acoustics. <laughs> they sound better. a lot better. better. Yeah, maybe. Oh, yeah, because you have all those clothes. All the clothes. Kind of yeah, maybe I should awesome. record in here in the future. Right. <laughs>
my our, my internet problems solved my acoustic problems. Yeah. <laughs>